You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 108 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Chemical City Rebels. Enduring floods, high volumes, and punishing southern Louisiana summers, Chemical City Rebels are here to stay. Blending furious pace with mid-tempo drive and infectious vocal harmonies, they craft what they call stoner pop punk. In April 2019, the band released their debut full-length, A New Plague, With it, they seek to fuse the influences of everyone from hot water music to Queens of the Stone Age by way of the Cars and Type O Negative. For more information on Chemical City Rebels, you can check them out on Instagram and Twitter at Chemical City Reb and on Facebook at Chemical City Rebels. Now here it is, their new single, What We Have Done. When the children weep in forgotten streets, will we realize what we have?
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More and also Talking Book, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, and I am your host for that one time on tour. If you're not familiar, this is your first time joining us. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. I'd like to thank you guys for checking out last week's episode with JB from August Burns Red. We had a great conversation. If you guys like August Burns Red, Make sure to pick up their new record, Guardians, out on Fearless Records. But this week is episode 108, and it is an awesome episode. I got to sit down with Billy Gold from Faith No More and his awesome, like, kind of soundscapey, weird project called The Talking Book. And, man, this was like a bucket list guest for me. I grew up listening to Faith No More. I saw Faith No More open up for Metallica and Guns N' Roses in Indianapolis back in like 92. We talk about all of that. We talk about Faith No More, how they got together, how they write songs, getting back together after the hiatus, kind of like breaking up and then getting back together in like, I think 2015. We talk about his new project. It's not really a new project. It's been going on for almost a decade, but they have a new record out. It's this experimental soundscapey kind of almost movie score type thing called The Talking Book. And their new record, Two, The Talking Book 2, is out on Cool Arrow Records, which is the record label that Billy runs and he owns. So check that out. I'll play some of that at the end of the episode. Before I get into this awesome episode with Billy, I'm going to tell you guys, you know, the virus is still here. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news, and maybe it seems like it's not, but it is still here. Here in the town of Muncie, Indiana, where I live, we are like third on the New York Times list for like new cases. So it's still kind of still still scary. I I'm not working, I'm doing like I said, you know, remote guitar lessons and everything. If you're interested in some remote guitar lessons, hit me up, we'll take care of it. But uh yeah, the virus is still kicking, but uh we have all this new stuff going on. I do want to, you know, touch on it a little bit the protests that have been going on uh, you know, over the murder of George Floyd out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I just I was disgusted when I saw the video. I'm glad that today they have charged all of the police, not just the the main guy. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, everybody's talking about this. You guys don't want to really hear me preach about anything, but there is racism in this country and in the world. And it's, it's a taught thing. Nobody is born a racist. And, uh, you know, living here in the middle of the country and also living in Alabama 
I have experienced it a lot of places. And uh, I will say that I've said stuff to people. They've said things, you know, they think they're hanging out with a lot of white people. They can say whatever they want. And I always tell them to shut the fuck up. And I'm not trying to be big bad hero or anything, but that's that's what we have to do. If you guys experience that, and I'm 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 talking to white people right now. If you experience that, somebody's saying something, you say something back to them. That's the only way this is going to change. And the protesters, you know, many of them are peaceful and they're exercising their right to protest. And some people are ruining it. They're opportunists and they're causing violence and havoc. And it gives it a bad, a bad look, you know, and uh, I, I wish that wasn't happening. But that is the case. But hopefully this will bring some change in our country as well as other countries as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh it's a really important thing. And I hope that you guys out there are safe. I'm sure some of you are probably participating in some of the protests. Uh, they are having protests here in the town that I live in as well. And uh, so far, I think here in Muncie, everything's been fairly peaceful, but I hope that you all are safe out there. I hope you are well. And uh, I stand with the protesters for, uh, what they what they're doing and uh, i hope things get better so that's all i will say about that i just wanted to touch on that we don't really talk about a lot of heavy stuff on this podcast but you know the the world is kind of crazy right now i guess uh my internet was down for a while today and the people at comcast said that uh there was a solar flare and <laughs> i mean what else is going to happen in 2020 it's a crazy year but uh i love all of you out there thank you for listening to this podcast if you're driving in your car, if you're hanging out at home, whatever you're doing, thanks for coming along on this ride, and hopefully I can entertain you. So let's get some business out of the way. I do have some awesome sponsors for this episode. The band you heard at the beginning, Chemical City Rebels out of Louisiana, and they have sponsored, I believe, two other episodes. I love those guys. Check them out. And uh, they're on Spotify and everything. Uh, I'll have links to everything in the show notes, but check out the Chemical City Rebels. James Devlin. He's an illustrator out of Australia. Jamersdesign.com. He's awesome. He did some art for my new project, Southern Gothic. Check it out on Spotify. And rockabilia.com. They're back on the ride. Frankie and everybody over there, they're so cool. They have over 500,000 officially licensed products in their warehouse. So head on over to rockabilia.com and order some cool stuff and tell them that Chris from that one time on tour sent you. Last but not least today, my buddy Gary over at partscasterconcierge.com. Gary built me a guitar. It's awesome. I love it. I posted some pictures of it a while back on Instagram. You guys need to check it out if you want to have a custom guitar built or you want a kit so you can build your own custom guitar or if you want to just, you know, some consulting on building a guitar, whatever you want, Gary will hook you up. Check it out over at partscasterconcierge.com. You can also check them out on, uh, on Instagram as well. And that is it for the sponsors. If you want to help the show out, the cheapest and fastest way is to leave us a five-star rating and a little review over on Apple Podcasts, or if you're on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever, there's probably a little follow button, whatever you want to do, but subscribing, following, rating, reviewing, it helps this show go a long way, and I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to get involved on a financial level, you can head on over to the Patreon, that is patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. 
If you can't remember that, just go to TOTOTpodcast.com and all of the pertinent links are there. I would like to give a shout out to our three Patreon producers, Mr. Bob Foster out of Hemet, California, Mr. John Exton out of Stafford, England, and my buddy, Mr. Dewey Halpas from the Peer Pleasure Podcast all the way out in Portland, Oregon. Thank you guys so much for your support. If you want to sponsor an episode, you have a band or a company, Hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. I have some really good sponsorship opportunities coming in the future. Last shout out, we have a new art director on the podcast. My buddy Sarah up in Canada. She's been doing a lot of the new promo art. And uh, you can check out all her stuff on Instagram at Road Dog Supply. Or you can head on over to RoadDogSupply.com and uh, get her to do some cool stuff for you. She's She's been killing it here on the podcast, and we've got some really cool art coming up in the next few weeks for the next couple episodes. So thanks a lot to Sarah. Make sure to, to follow her on Instagram at Road Dog Supply. Okay, so that is it. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet. No segment today. I will be back next week with maybe a radio segment. I'm not sure. I've been working on some cool stuff. Um, if you guys are on Facebook and you follow the podcast or you're friends with me, personally on Facebook, I did this really cool uh, kind of playthrough cover of Master of Puppets by Metallica with my buddy AJ. And AJ is such a great drummer. He plays in Jughead's Revenge. He plays in Gutter Mouth. He plays in Hit the Switch. He's such a great drummer, such a good dude. He hit me up and he said, hey, let's do this like playthrough of Master of Puppets. And I wasn't really sure. I've never done anything like that before, but he sent me his, uh, his video of him doing the drums that were mixed with the actual recording. So I busted out the old, you know, the old uh, logic and took my guitar up and I, I played through my part and then we kind of synced everything up and it looks pretty cool. There's a couple of times where I get off a bit because when you do that kind of stuff, you know, you have to record your part, mix it into the actual song, mix it into the video and the audio of his video, and then you kind of mimic when you're actually playing along. So I, I think I did a good job. There's a couple of places where you can kind of see it's kind of weird. But uh, it was quite an undertaking. It's an eight and a half minute song, trying to get through an eight and a half minute song without messing up on the video. Uh, there's a couple cuts in there because there's some stops and I, I was I was tired, man. I don't play live anymore. I got to get back in shape. So check that out. Uh, I'll be I think, I, yeah, I put it on the IGTV. And it's on the Facebook and uh, I think I'm going to put it on the YouTube as well. That's another thing, guys. We're on YouTube. Uh, I put episodes up once in a while. I don't keep up with it like I should. I think there's probably 30 or 40 episodes over there, but I'm going to start getting back into that. So check us out. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. But that is it for the intro. Thank you so much for coming back week in and week out. This conversation with Billy from Faith No More and The Talking Book is awesome. I had such a great time. You guys are so, so, so going to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. So I will talk to you guys after the conversation. Here it is, my talk with Billy Gold from Faith No More and The Talking Book. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Bill from Talking Book and Faith No More. What's going on today, Bill? Uh, another day in the quarantine. Another day in the quarantine. Yeah, I, it seems like all of my guests I've been talking to lately, my first question is, how is the pandemic affecting you and, and, and how's everything going at home? I mean, it affects everybody I know. It affects all everybody. I don't. I can't think of a person on earth that isn't affected. But San Francisco, being kind of densely populated, uh, I 
we were expecting a big wave to hit and it hasn't hit yet. So everything is okay. Chill. What are you, what are you doing to fill your time with? Oh man, I've got no <laughs> shortage of things. I moved my studio into my, partially into my house. So I, I've been getting that all together so I can get back to work. That's cool, man. And I, do you have like family? Like, I don't know a lot of your backstory. Do you have kids or anything? No kids. Uh, no, my family comes from Southern California. So I have a sister who lives up here in uh, Berkeley, Okay, but for the most part, uh, no, it's, it's actually just, I live on a block where I lived on this block for about 30 years. So I know all the neighbors and it's kind of like, this is my neighborhood. That's cool, man. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco and I, I love the area. I haven't been out there for a while, right before the virus kind of all hell broke loose. I I'd gone on a trip out to see some friends in Portland, Oregon, and the day I got back is when like everything locked down. So I'm right. glad, I'm glad I got right. one last little trip out of the way before maybe we're here till August. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> well, uh, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on the show is uh, you've got this new album coming out, The Talking Book Two, which is uh, just in my own listening to it i would say it's kind of avant-garde very artistic it almost reminds me of like a movie score could you kind of take me through how that started i know you guys did the first record almost nine years ago i mean it's very experimental it's very avant-garde it started because uh, i met a guy uh, jared blom he's one of the guys at talking book and he this is what he does he works with music concrete which is like finding found sounds and making music out of it yeah uh and you know, we, we kind of had similar tastes. So, you know, I have a studio and I'd have him, I'd help him mix some of his records or do some kind of mastering stuff to some of his projects. And we just got to know each other. And, you know, even though my music that I, what I'm known for has doesn't sound like this at all, um, my tastes kind of go into this a little bit. And he was like, we should just try something together and see like what we would do. And it was something very different for me. Uh, because the music I usually work with is a little more linear. It usually has a beginning and an end and a yeah. verse or a chorus. And this is, this is not like that at all. So it was, it was, a, I figured it'd be a good idea, uh, to kind of put myself out of my comfort zone and, and get in, look at music a little differently, which is exactly what this did. Um, so we did that in 2011 and, uh, we kind of we got Dominic joined the band, and he was a friend of Jared's, and and these guys kind of uh, knew this this genre really well. I was kind of like the guy taking their lead, yeah. but uh, we got we got a point where um it, we started doing shows, and we started getting our groove down, and we just figured, hey, let's bang out another, let's do another project, and I think it took like six years. Wow, and that's this, and and what I was reading when I was reading up on on the project. I heard that there was like a studio flood and there, there was all kinds of stuff oh, yeah. in the nine year interim between the records. <laughs> Can you take me through like some of, it seems almost like it was cursed, right? My studio flooded twice. Wow. Um, I was in this part in Oakland, uh, but it's a little bit under sea level. When it rains really hard, the sea level just, the sea rises, the drains fill up. And uh, it happened once, got everything out of my studio uh, it was a heroic uh, uh, effort by the guys at the studio because I wasn't even there. And then I had to put it all back together again. A couple years later, it happened again. So this happened twice over this period. And um, finally, I just moved into a different room. I mean, it's, it was crazy. It took me almost a year to get the studio put back together. So that that's going to put a damper. But you know, what also happens is when this happens is 
you start listening to the things you were working on, and then you know they're not quite as they're not quite there like you thought they were before. Yeah. And you know you go back to them, and you you know you you have you have a different approach, and that's kind of what happened with us. We 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 thought we were almost finished, and then as time went by, we realized we were not even close. When when you're doing this type of music, and you know I'll play some of it here at the end of the episode so people can check it out. But when you're doing this type of music. You know, like you said, the stuff that you're usually known for is the more linear stuff where maybe there's an intro, a verse, a chorus. Like you kind of, even if there's some weird stuff in there as well, you kind of have a stopping point or you have a point of where you know it's almost done. When you're doing this more artistic, almost like soundscape type stuff, do you have like a set of parameters or is it just kind of whatever you guys feel when it's done, it's done? Well, it is all about feeling. It's kind of like making a sculpture of clay where, you know, you just keep molding it until it feels like it's where you want to go. But back to the thing you're saying, this sounds like a film soundtrack. This is visual music for us. So we know we're there when we start seeing things. And when the music starts, we start, it's kind of a process of discovery, not so much writing, but discovery where you're working with these sounds and you kind of start seeing stuff. And when you see stuff, you know, you're on the right track. And I think we got there. I, I do like how, it, I mean, some of it is kind of more, you know, major key. A lot of it's really minor key. It's very kind of dark imagery. Like last night in preparation for talking to you, I've listened to it for a while. Monica sent it to me a while back, but I put my headphones on mm -hmm. and I like laid on my couch after my son went to sleep and I listened <laughs> to the whole thing and I had my eyes wow. shut. I had my eyes shut wow. the whole time, man. Amazing. And Amazing. I, I was just seeing, I mean, I can't even really explain to you what I saw, but it was very dark and just like shapes and it does really just convey such great images. And I think that's great. I don't think a lot of people do music that way. They don't. Uh, this is the thing. Okay. So this is kind of what I like about it is that uh, what I'm missing in other music, I could put into my own uh, approach. And, and it, it, I, I miss music that, that's evocative. Like, it, I guess like it used to be, but um, yeah. something that gives me a feeling, it takes me somewhere. And um, so, you know, a lot of this is really unconscious stuff. So, we're, we know how it feels and we know we all feel the certain way and we're seeing these things. It's because it's, it's touching something inside of us. We're, 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 it's, it's, it's activating something. And, you know, at the end of it, when we come up with this stuff, we go, well, what does it all mean and how does it all fit together? Because we're getting guided by ourselves. We just don't know consciously why we're going there until we, until it's finished. And it's funny because, um, we thought about it. It's like, you know, this is kind of like, basically, this is a story that we did. And it's kind of like about a dead civilization, like from a plague or, a, you know, war. But 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 actually, we're talking about like, like, like a plague. Was kind it's of very, vi we very ironic, the times that we're living in exactly. when this is coming out. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, if you look at the cover artwork, it's a, it's a ruins of a castle because that's kind of really, it's kind of a forensic look at a, a loss as a dead civilization. So when you guys are putting this stuff together, the one thing that I really liked when I was listening, and sometimes it's hard now that everything's digital, like I'm listening to it on you know Spotify or whatever, that some of right. the songs like kind of go into other songs where back in the day when you had vinyl or it was on the CD, right. you, it could, you could do that. And it's almost like one big song. Like, how do you guys go about <laughs> sequencing the, the record? That was a big deal. It took a while to make it really feel right. And it is, it is gapless. So if you do put these songs back to back, they go right into each other. Um, but yeah, for the Spotify generation, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. So we made a vinyl. We did a vinyl record where 
there's two pieces that go right into each other. Each side is one whole piece. That's awesome, man. And that was, yeah. By the way, I'm very impressed that you sat and listened to the whole thing. A lot of people don't have the attention span to do that. And I'm very impressed. Well, I tell you, I like to do my due diligence when people are coming on and I am a huge faith, no more fan. And of course I've got some questions about that. I'm sure you were expecting that, but I really, you know, when Monica hit me up and she sent me the record, I really wanted to kind of, you know, dive headfirst into it to really see what it was about because, you know, you don't need to come on my show to promote faith no more. I'm glad that you're here and you're going to talk about it, but this project to me, like once I sat with it a couple times, it really kind of spoke to me, man. I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Very happy to hear that. So, you know, was there a huge difference in the the writing style or the production style from the first one nine years ago to this new one? Kind of. Uh, you know, uh, it's just kind of like, I mean, we all bring these parts and stuff into it and we're like, you just start wrestling with it, actually. So in a lot of ways, it wasn't that different. Um, but it was just more difficult this time. I don't know why. I, I actually do like the result a little bit better, too, which is good. But, uh, you know, you start thinking, I mean, are you overthinking this? You know, yeah. like, what is going on? After a couple of years, like, okay. Well, that kind of goes back to when you were talking about not really knowing when you're done. Like, when you have all, <laughs> the, all of these things accrued and they all go into each other and the sequencing's done are you worried that maybe you'll listen through and think, Oh, we should have added something there. or There was space for something else. Like how do you really know when it's done? I not now. Yeah. (laughs) When you're ready to let it go, that's when, you know, and and, and there were parts where I thought, okay, we're done now. And Jared's like, no, this is still, I need to do this. I'm like, Oh my God. And I say, you know, after like two or three years, I mean, there were days where I'm like, this isn't going to happen. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. And Jared actually was very good. He stuck, stuck to it and, and kind of carried, he was the thread that kind of carried this to completion. So, you know, you were talking about Jared, his whole art concept of working with sounds, of working with like found sounds, maybe things that you wouldn't expect would be on a recording. Right. Can you walk me through, walk me through some of the stuff you guys use on the recording that people might not even like realize when they listen? Well, the talking book, actually the name we got talking book from is from an old, uh, it's from an old uh, record player that they made, I think for, for people, uh, Braille people, uh, where it played records at, uh, 16 RPM. Okay. And so we had one of those turntables and, um, no, seven RPM, I believe. Um, and just slowed it down and we got records and slowed them down and created instruments out of slowed down sound and brought them back up again. So a lot of these sounds very, very slowed down. They're not even really musical. You know, you've heard like Justin Bieber slowed down 40,000 times or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's totally. a little more like that. We created, we created parts out of, out of this kind of thing. Is there any subliminal stuff on it? <laughs> um, I think it's all subliminal. It's all subliminal, right? <laughs> no, no, no. There's nothing, there's nothing like that we did intentionally that would like, would affect people without them knowing about it. Yeah, now. yeah. So, uh, is there a lot of like traditional instruments on there? Because I'll tell you when I was listening, I have there listened are. to a couple times. It's kind of hard sometimes to pick out because I mean, some of the melodies are very abstract and whatnot. Like what were some of the main, just basic instruments that were on the, the album? There's some guitar. Uh, there's a lot of guitar. There's acoustic guitar, obviously. There's some piano, obviously. Um, there's some melodica, um, then there's some synths, actually. There's quite a bit of synths. 
Uh, it's actually probably a lot of synths. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I don't think we had any real drums. No real drums? Yeah, no. I can't remember, but I don't think so. Did you, you would say that you produced this, correct? Or you like, like he cut you guys all work together, but I know you've produced things in the past. Like you produced, you know, the last two faith in the more records album of the year and soul Invictus. Right. So right. when you were, is there a different approach to producing something like this? I mean, as a producer, not as a songwriter, and then Absolutely. maybe something that's more linear. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you still has to kind of be a, a statement, right? Yeah. So you have to tie in things together and there's things that get in the way of other things. So there's that weeding out process. It's kind of like, it reminded me a little bit of back in the old days because I, I have a studio. So time isn't an issue as far as looking at the clock. Yeah. You know, it's back when you could actually get the right sound for the right thing. And if it takes you a week to do it, you have the, 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 the advantage where you could actually do that, the luxury. So we had that luxury. So it was um it was very production oriented in a lot of ways of making things fit together. And I take it you're probably running digital stuff, Pro Tools or whatever. So doing yeah, exactly. doing this artistic kind of soundscape thing, you had unlimited tracks. So I mean that's probably another thing of like when do we stop adding stuff, right? Absolutely. Hey, sky's the limit. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Do you uh, prefer? working on tape. I mean, like in my career bands that I've been in, I've done records on tape and records, you know, on pro tools. And I will say that I wasn't the one doing the razor blade editing <laughs> when we were doing it to right. tape. So I don't really know if I have like a, a preference, but I know that you've probably done both. So is there, do you kind of miss doing it the old school way? Uh, I do because they had record company budgets. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but no, actually a uh, tape, I'm glad I came from that generation because it really learned, I learned how to play the part correctly yeah. before I went into the studio. So it really made me a better musician, uh, because it makes you focus when uh, sometimes, uh, you know, if you have the luxury to, to do things and fix things later, you just don't put that kind of focus into it. Sometimes I've noticed. So, um, you know, I would like to talk a little bit about your, I would say old band, but you guys are doing things again. Uh, with producing, you know, having your producer cap on and producing the the album right before you guys kind of broke up or went on hiatus, and then the new the new album, Soul Invictus, coming back. Do you? This kind of goes hand in hand with that last question. Do you approach producing something that you're a part of different than maybe producing just a band that you're hired to produce? Good question. I mean, the reason I actually got into production was because as a band, when we first started, we were into control, right? There yeah. was uh, back in the days when there was major labels and everybody, you know, brought in producers and we were very protective over our stuff. So we did most of the pre-production ourselves. By the time we go into the recording studio, we already knew what we were going to do. And what I realized was, even though it didn't have to do with engineering and moving microphones, it had a lot to do with production. So my approach to Fit the More is kind of this. Our roots was writing and, and arranging our own material. So my role doesn't change much there. Uh, it did change a little bit in that, um, you know, I picked the microphones and yeah. things like that. <laughs> and I had to learn how to do that, obviously, over, you know, a couple decades. But um, it's not that different. So when you guys are writing, you know, in Faith No More, how do you guys co go about doing that? Are people bringing in full songs? Are you guys jamming stuff out? Like, how does that all come together? Both. 
Both. Both. Sometimes people have fully worked out ideas. Sometimes we just come together and we just come up with stuff. Either way, whatever works, no rules. Was there uh, a huge difference or like a weird vibe in your songwriting when you guys finally came back and did the new record? Or was it all the same? No, it was different. Uh, I mean, we had a 12-year gap where we didn't even see each other. So, yeah. you know, we go in different directions and we, and we bring back what we, you know, where we were with us. Uh, I mean, I could tell you what I brought into it. I, mean, I really wanted, I was really missing uh, songwriting. Like I was missing hearing in music uh, songs that were deliberate and, and written as songs and as full pieces and not just jams of, of different riffs strung together. That was really getting me bored. So um, I went into it with that perspective. I don't know if I do the next one, I would work that way or not. I mean, every every stage and every record is kind of its own process. So does that mean there's going to be a next one? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very likely. Very likely. I was hoping so, man. We'll see why there wouldn't be. Yeah. So I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, we're not going to go super, super far back, but when you guys, when you guys did decide to, I mean, I guess I'll call it a hiatus since you guys did end up coming back, but I know I remember reading in the press, like you guys weren't super stoked with each other in 1998 when the band kind of ended. So was right. it, I know that you guys were always so busy and, you know, Mike was doing all kinds of bands. You were doing all kinds of stuff. Right. Was that kind of part of what happened? People just got a little bit, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. Hmm. No, I think that we toured a little too hard. Yeah. I think we were on, a, we were on the treadmill and I think that we, you know, it got to a point where we were just exhausted and we started blaming each other. Was it uh, like when that all ended, what did you use to fill your time there? I know you've, you've done a lot of stuff. I'm not sure. on. Well, like, I, I started, I started Coolero records uh, back around that time. And that's what the talking book's out on, correct? It is. It is. And that's, that's a whole other ball of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's funny. I, I went into a, doing a record label as a, as a creative person where, you know, I would, I would release this creative stuff. And, you know, basically a record company is something that, sells products yeah and uh i had to really kind of learn the language of, of how to sell products and still have that enthusiasm of working with cool stuff it took me a while to figure out because i didn't come from that world actually well yeah and i think i don't know how familiar you are uh do you know the guys in no effects um i do well like fat mike fat mike uh, he hasn't been on the show but i've met michael a bunch of times and a lot of the bands from that label mm -hmm. are on the show and uh i've just heard you know in interviews with mike where he was that creative guy he likes creating stuff but the business side he did not he didn't know how to do it <laughs> so he had to like get people around him that knew how to do the business side so he could be the head of the label and do all the creative you know see so the problem is if you don't get that element going you don't survive i mean Right. You got to pay bills. I mean, it's, yeah. It's I mean, that's why it's so, the music business. I mean, there is the creative side. Exactly. That you've still got to treat it like a business. You have to. If you want to keep doing cool stuff, then you got to find a way to make it work. So do you have a lot of active bands like on your roster? Not a lot. Uh, I, I pared it down a little bit because it's really, it, I still want to be a creative person. I want to be a musician. I want to write music uh, and not just uh, manage stuff behind a desk which is basically what a record label is um so i try to keep it limited to like two releases a year three but there's a band uh dubioza collective from they're from sarajevo they're great they're doing a little well there's a band called como asesinata felipe which is a 
a really eclectic band from Chile that I love. They're like family to me. We have a huge listener base in South America, especially in Chile. So I'm sure somebody will hear that. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They know them. They know them. So, you know, you guys broke up in 1998 when you guys, st- I remember on the internet starting to see stuff around 2009, like these little hints dropping. What, what was it that made you guys want to try it out again? I mean, I'm really glad you did, but like what, how, how did the talks come together? I, it was weird. I, I, we have a really weird way we communicate with each other. So there was a lot of, um, not being very, uh, direct and hoping for the best. Yeah. I would say, yeah. You know, I, I was, I really had second thoughts all the way up to the first show where I was like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm getting these signals like, these guys really want to do it, but I just don't know, you know? And and then we did the show and everybody was very, very solid and played really well. And it was, they put a lot into the show and uh, I, I kind of relaxed after that. And it's like, I don't, you know, it's not my point to say what anybody's motivation is. Yeah. As long as they do the gig and they do a good job of it, focused on it, that's really the point. We're a fucking band. <laughs> so, you know, everything that I read said that it was just going to, hey, we're going to do these reunion shows, we're going to do some touring. And then you guys end up doing the new record in 2015. So right. was it just that everything went really well and it started feeling good again? And, and I'm sure riding together just felt great once you got back together, right? It sort of did too. And I, but I also think that there's a certain point where, you know, if you're just touring all the time and doing gigs and there's no creative side of it, I think it's, it's a job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got to have that part of it. You have to. And I was at the point where I was like, this has got to be a creative thing for me or I'm not going to be happy to continue doing this. Well, it kind of legitimizes the reunion, you know, like if you just get back to take your greatest hits around the country or around the world, if you legitimize it with a record, that that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to see yourself as just somebody who's playing nostalgia. I don't know. Yeah. Some people can, there's nothing wrong with people who do it, to be honest, but I have a hard time seeing myself being that guy. So I know that uh, you also, it just seems like everybody in your band's pretty busy, but you've played in bands with Jello Biafra, Wayne Kramer. You you were in mm-hmm. a band with Maynard and, and Brad and, and Tom from Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Do you just don't like being home or what? <laughs> <laughs> I love to travel. I really do love to travel. That's a that's a drug that I I think I'll have with me the rest of my life. So, do you are you pretty into the punk scene then? I mean, I mean from back in the day because I was reading about the whole the band with Jello and the band with Wayne, like, you know, Faith No More, I wouldn't I know there's some punk elements in there, but was that something that kind of spoke to you early on? Oh yeah, that's how I grew up. I mean, I think I was I heard the Sex Pistols when I was like 15. 15 years old that was it i mean before that i was listening to my friend's big brother's progressive rock records and that just went right out the window <laughs> so i that's that's my world actually i come from that that the punk scene really it's up till about the early 80s and then i kind of transitioned to something different what exactly did you transition into because i mean like i said with faith no more like musically you can hear those elements of punk and metal and funk and and everything it's i loved it so much when i was young because it kind of encapsulated everything that i liked in one band well it's funny i mean so we were uh the drummer mike borden he um he came from a metal more metal background and uh he came over to my house once and he's like look at this album this is my friend cliff's band and it was uh, it was kill them all. Oh my god! And I was like, look at these, look at these guys. These guys have fucking bell bottoms. What the fuck is this, right? Yeah, and yeah. 
put it on, I was like, oh my God, this is heavy metal, but it's actually really good. Yeah. I hated heavy metal. I absolutely hated it. I hated everything about it. Metallica was the kind of thing that kind of was like a, it was kind of a bridge towards appreciating that kind of music. So I got a, kind of got into Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath stuff via Metallica. Well, I, my friends and I, you know, we've always been huge Metallica fans. And the one thing that we always said since we were big punk fans also is that Kill 'Em All is almost a punk record with solos. Like it's absolutely it's it's metal, but it's that like you said, it's that bridge. You know, it's when the American thrash stuff kind of mixed with with punk. You know, and then you started going to shows. Like I'd go to punk shows and they'd see guys with venom on their jackets. You yeah. know, you would never have seen. That. You know, a, a year or two before, there was no mix between the two worlds. They, in fact, they were diametrically opposed, and it kind of it was, it was interesting. It was a real interesting melding of, uh, and it, it made music. It put it in a bigger uh, scale. Things just loud, heavy music. When, when you guys were getting the band together there at the beginning, and, and you were writing, and you know, playing shows and, and playing around that area were you playing a lot of shows with like different kind of bands like metal bands punk bands what was the scene like back then oh we couldn't play with anybody we were so weird like we, we played with punk bands we played with metal bands they all kind of didn't really like us it didn't really work even when metallica took us on tour like we thought well, that'd be amazing we're playing in front of all these people every night and people didn't they didn't get it at all at all until like, James would come out and play a song, would play War Pigs with us, and that's he really helped us actually because he kind of translated us to other people. Once they realized it was okay because James liked us, they started listening to our music like with respect. So speaking of that, I don't know if this is the exact tour or not, but the first time that I saw Faith No More, you guys were opening for Metallica and Guns N' Roses. It was I've got this in like just burned into my mind July 22nd, 1992 at the Hoosier dome in Indianapolis, Indiana. And okay. You know, like four days later, not four days, but four shows later was the infamous incident in Montreal where James, right. you know, stood over the pyro and there was the big riot because Axel like didn't finish the show. Yeah. Were, were you guys kind of, I mean, you guys opened that show. What was the, the feeling like? Were you able to get out? Because I mean, some of the guys in Metallica on different interviews said that they were like stuck inside the venue. Like how was that night for you guys? Here's a, here's a crazy story. So Guns N' Roses were notoriously going on late. They would go on like three hours late every night. And we'd already been touring with them for about three or four months. So we knew the drill. And it was like, well, shit, you know, we're gonna, we can sit around here for three hours and we can move on to the next city. So we played and we just left. <laughs> so you and played we and found you bailed. <laughs> we were on the road. We heard about this riot. We didn't even, we missed the whole thing. We were already driving to wherever we were driving. I think it was Detroit. So was that, uh, was that like your first massive, almost like stadium tour that you guys were on? I would say yes. It might be the only stadium tour we ever did. <laughs> were you guys in a bus or in a, or in a van? We, we were in a bus. We were in a bus. We started, I mean, with Metallica, when they first had us open up for them, we were in a van. So we were like doing these big shows. And we were driving up in our van with all our gear in it. In fact, the first Metallica show we did, I remember this, it was in, it was in Boise, Idaho. But we had a show in New York at the Cat Club uh, about the day, day and a half before. So we finished the show at the Cat Club. We pulled out of New York at like 2 a.m., and we got into Boise a day and a half later without stopping straight to the gig and straight and played on stage. And that was our first big show we ever played in our lives. 
So that was insane. I tell you, man, sometimes back in the day when I would be on the road, I don't think that the booking agents ever looked at a map because one, the, no. wor- the worst drive I ever had, we were in a van, we ended a show in Vancouver, and three days later, we had to be in Miami. I hear you. I've done it. It was not I fun. Know. It was not it's fun at all. Not- not fun at all. You know, you're, you're basically your foot soldiers at that point. Oh yeah. It's crazy, man. So, uh, what do you, what year was that? The first time you went out with Metallica, do you remember? I would say probably 89. Oh, so it was like justice tour maybe. Yes. That's it. Just come out. Exactly. So I always thought that you guys were a really, really good fit with, with Metallica. The, did you get it? I mean, I'm sure you guys are all tight and close on that Guns N' Roses tour. Like, did you get to hang a lot with those guys or were they kind of standoffish or not? I mean, they were the biggest band in the world at the time. So they were, they were on another, they were in a different orbit than us. We saw them. We saw them walking down the hall or at the catering, but uh, we didn't really socialize that much. I just always remember uh, the first thing that I thought because I'd listened to you guys a lot before I saw you on that tour and I walked in and my friends and I sat down. I think I was, uh, let me see, 92. I was uh, trying to think. It's probably like 13, 14 years old. But uh, I sat down and you guys come out and start playing and the big skulls from the Metallica backdrop were there. And I was like, man, they should have given Faith No More their own backdrop. I just always remember that (laughs) stuck in my mind, you know? I think we were too cheap to have one. I think that's what happened. Well, I'm sure you'd have to pay a lot to have them as big as they were on that stage, man. Yeah, we we were really a very minimal crew. I mean, we weren't we weren't the headliners, so it was their show. We were just uh, you know, we were just happy to be part of it. So uh, I have some listener questions, if you wouldn't mind. Is that cool? Yeah, no, not totally, totally. Uh, okay, so uh, Fred from California, he wants to know what was the first punk slash hardcore band you ever saw live, and what city and state was it in? The first punk band I ever saw, I was, well, hardcore, there wasn't hardcore then. I was, uh, I grew up in LA and there was, um, there's a street called Larchmont Boulevard and, uh, there was a place called Larchmont Hall that had punk gigs and I was actually riding my bike. I think Roddy was with me and, um, we saw some guys that looked kind of complete freaks walking down the street and we decided to follow them. And they walked into this hall, and so we went inside too. And, and there was some bands. I think the band that I saw was the Zeros and Johnny Novotny. Those are the two. That was the the bands playing that night. And that's that was the thing. And the next one I saw after that, I think it was X at UCLA. Oh, X! Second. I love X, man. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Fred, thank you for your question. Uh, Mike from Canada. He wants to know what inspired you to record with your trademark distorted bass tone. So a couple things, uh, I didn't have a very good bass and I didn't have a very good amp. In fact, I had a very cheap, horrible amp that was just my amp and it distorted. <laughs> so the good thing was that, uh, the drummer, he's, he's a very, Borden's a very hard playing guy. And I found that the way my bass amp distorted kind of worked with his playing. And uh, I worked with the, I made lemonade out of the lemons that I had and it, it kind of became my signature sound, but it was completely because of shitty gear. I was going to ask you, I, I've asked a lot of people this that record and, and play music. <clears throat> um, you know, people are always talking about when you're recording nowadays, you've got the amp sims, like, like the, the DI that you, you know, just record to, and then you can choose sure. different amps as opposed to just miking a cabinet or doing whatever. And, and I was talking to my buddy the other day and I kind of said, he's like, dude, it's, it's just artificial. And I said, well, man, 
distortion is artificial when you think about it. I mean, back in the day, there was just clean guitar and then, you know, they shred the speakers and then they came out with pedals. Like, I just think that, you know, with like the talking book, the stuff that you guys do there, there's so much different stuff going on where you guys are creating different sounds. I just always wondered if, if, if you've ever thought about that, like distortion, especially your bass or just on the guitar track, that's almost kind of like something that was created at one point after people were already playing electric guitar. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to me, it's always, I always go with gut feeling. So if it feels good and gives me pleasure, I keep doing it. (laughs) Animal level, right? I don't even think about whether things pure or not pure. I mean, I use pro tools. I, I, I use, I have a Kemper actually. I use it. Uh, I know what they mean about feeling and, and not being like a real amp, but, um, it's all about if you find the pleasure spot, then you're on the right track because it's all about bringing pleasure. That's all it's all about. Are you still using area bases? I am not. I'm using Zon bases. Uh, okay. The base that I've had since 91, it's, I still use. Uh, it's indestructible, but I do have my area bases, and I love those too. Awesome. What do you prefer uh, six-string-wise, like guitar-wise? Oh, <laughs> I would say <laughs> I'm a guitarist myself. I, I mean, I'm a Les Paul guy, I always have to say. So if am I. If I have one guitar, Desert Island guitar, it'd be a Les Paul. Awesome, man. Okay. So I've got one more listener question for you, and this one's kind of funny. You might not even have an answer for this. Uh, Chris from Illinois, he said, who got to blow up the piano at the end of the Epic video? The director. That's what I figured. I was going <laughs> to, I wanted to ask it because he's a, Chris is a friend of mine, but I figured right. that maybe you guys weren't even there for some of the post-production shots, right? We saw it. We watched the, we watched the explosion, but I mean, you, you know, when you make a video, there's people, you have to all this insurance and stuff. There's pyro guys that do this kind of stuff. So yeah. we watched it happen, but we didn't have a lot to do with it personally. Now I, this isn't in my notes or anything, but I seem to remember, you know, the fish at the end of the video, there seemed there seemed to be some kind of controversy with some animal rights people. Did 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 that get like squashed? Uh, yeah, it, w- it wasn't anything that actually happened. I mean, it, what really happened was, I mean, it was, it's a it's a provocative image, okay, for yeah. sure, right? Uh, but we got a fish, we took it off out of the of a bucket of water for about five seconds and filmed it in slow motion, breathing, put it back in the water. Nothing happened to the fish. Um, but it looked, you know, when you stretch it out like that, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're there gasping for air with the fish. And that, that was kind of the point. I mean, it's just an evocative image and people did, you know, get a little upset, but what are they really going to get upset about? <laughs> it, the fish wasn't harmed. So. I, I always really liked the videos that you guys put out. Did you guys have a lot of input? Were you guys like treatments coming to you guys or were you guys giving treatments to different like directors? We, t- I mean, back to our control aspect, uh, we liked to control our videos, just like our music. We didn't like anybody telling us what to do. We were always really paranoid about like industry cheesy people trying to like uh, make us something we weren't. So we were, we probably gave them a really hard time most of the time. Well, I'll say that, you know, when you look at some of those videos from the early nineties, like they don't seem as dated as some of the other bands. So I think you guys accomplished that, you know, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, I, I really like it. And I mean, Epic is, it is an Epic video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just always liked, uh, my favorite part when I was younger watching that video is is when uh, Jim's doing like the har- the harmony guitar solo and there's like oh, yeah. lightning <laughs> shooting off the guitar. Like it was just so great. When you're a young kid and you're getting into right. heavy music, it was so <laughs> impactful, you know? It's so funny to think about it like that, but you're right. I can see how that happened. 
like the visual, like we were talking about with the talking book, like you guys always had very, you know, compelling visuals with, we've with, always with the had videos. a visual. Exactly. Uh, the faith and more actually was always been a very visual band, even though we write a little more conventionally with verses and choruses, visual is always a part of it. Well, and I'll tell you too, man, every time I hear, I mean, I, I love everything. I've got all the records most of it I've got on vinyl, but when I hear the bass on Epic, it, it's, it's probably the best thing in the world, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's why I like to do it because it was the best thing in the world for me too. That's awesome. Well, man, I've just, I've enjoyed having you on the program so much today. Um, I know that with this virus thing, everybody's kind of on hold as far as future plans, but can you tell right. me down the road what, like, what you've got going with the talking book or Faith in the More or anything else you're working on? Uh, well, you mean once the virus passes, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, whatever you're working on now or your plans for when when the virus does pass. I was going to be leaving on tour for Australia in about two weeks, three weeks for a tour, and that tour would have continued all the way through September. Wow. So I was about to leave with Faith No More for the whole summer. Right now, everything is up in the air, so I don't know. And it's kind of like, what are we going to do? What do we do now? I think we're at that point now. Do you guys have, I know you said that it's not out of the question for a new record. Like, have you been writing anything, like even individually? I'm always writing all the time. I never stop writing music. Uh, That's just what I do. Uh, Whether we all sit together and decide we want to do it, well, that's you know, we'll just have to see. It has to be the right thing and has to feel right with everybody. Do you, before the virus thing hit, did you have any plans for live gigs for the talking book? I didn't because I figured I'd be out with Faith No More during this time. You just so figured you'd be too busy. Exactly. Maybe you guys could do like some kind of live thing on Facebook or something. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad idea because with this kind of music, you can. You totally that's could. Not a bad idea. Yep, totally. And I mean, do you have any plans in the future since this? I mean, I just, it, it was the first time I've really listened to something like that, yeah. but I enjoyed yeah. it so much. Do you have any plans of maybe scoring a film or anything? Is that something that you'd like to do? Maybe it'd be something kind of cool. It'd be a cool project to be a part of. I, I, uh, I'm so happy that we got this stupid thing done after six, seven years. Yeah. I'm just kind of like really just happy to have it finally coming out. That's kind of where my head is at, but yeah, sure. Scoring would be amazing. This, I, there's a lot of cool creative things to get involved in. Absolutely. I think that'd be cool because with you guys, you know, making this music and then it, it creates the imagery for the, for sure. the listener. If you could sit there and look at scenes from a movie and kind of write from that other perspective. I mean, that would be really cool. Yeah. It'd be really fun. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have any, you know, socials or internet links or anything you'd like to plug for the, for either band? Um, you know, talking book, just go to cool arrow records, K O L A R R O W. And uh, there's a link for talking book under artists. Uh, and there's a little, you know, you could get a little more idea of what the where the band comes from. There's some sounds you can listen to. We're going to have a video that we're going to be um, putting out in the next couple days. Uh, and uh, I mean, Faith the More is FNM.com and it's got Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Cool. Well, I tell you, man, when those dates get rescheduled anywhere around Indianapolis, I'm going to come check it out because I. But I mean, both, both bands, I, Faith No More is one of my, I mean, you are a bucket list guest and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Oh, that's so cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad that you're into it. Cool, man. Well, uh, whenever anything else happens, come on back and talk to us about it, man. Fantastic. We'll do. Have a great night and stay safe out there during the pandemic. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Billy Gold from Faith No More and The Talking Book. 
man, it was such a good time talking to him. And uh, I hope he'll be on the show again very, very soon. You guys have to check out The Talking Book. I mean, it's it's really different. You heard us talking about it on the conversation. It's very soundscapey and almost like a movie score. There's not a lot of, you know, traditional instruments on there. There's some synth and some guitars and whatnot, but it's really cool and really chill. It's, it's, uh, I've actually put it on a couple nights when I'm trying to get my son to go to sleep and it, it does the trick. <laughs> it's a really, really cool thing. And you guys need to check it out as well as Faith No More. I mean, they're classic, they're legends. You don't need me to talk, tell you guys about Faith No More. But uh, check out everything Billy's ever done. He's done a lot of cool bands. He did a band with Jello Biafra. He's done a band with Wayne Kramer. You need to check out his stuff. He's awesome. Google Mr. Billy Gold and you will find out. But that is it for this week. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Chemical City Rebels, JamersDesign.com, Rockabilia.com, and PartsCasterConcierge.com. Thank you so much to all the patrons. Um, I'm going to start doing the ad-free thing a couple days early. This week got away from me. Well, when you've got, you know, toddlers, things go a little crazy. So, uh, and I don't know if you guys like it or not, the new day on Thursday, putting the stuff out, it's opposed to Wednesday. Uh, I, I'm enjoying it. It's giving me a little bit more time to get some stuff done. And uh, yeah, so I think we're going to stick with Thursday for a while, at least while I'm still in quarantine, because it works a little bit better with my schedule. And that's it, guys. If you want a remote guitar lesson, hit me up. I do all styles, all you know, music theory, songwriting, whatever you want to do. We'll take care of it. Hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the socials at TOTOTpodcast. Once again, you can get all of the awesome links for anything you want to do and stay in touch with us over at TOTOTpodcast.com. You can sponsor an episode. You can join up on the Patreon. You can, you know, read some stuff about me. You can read some stuff about the guests. You can do all kinds of cool stuff over there. So check it out, TOTOTpodcast.com. Thank you once again to Sarah, our new art director over at Road Dog Supply. Check them out on Instagram, also at RoadDogSupply.com. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you guys are feeling generous, you don't want to do the Patreon, but you do want to help out the show, you can always make a one-time donation on Venmo at Christopher Swinney. That is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. I would appreciate it. It helps the show keep going. And uh, I've had a couple really cool donations, so thank you guys so much for that. I appreciate it. Next week on the show, I've had a lot of people asking about this. When's it coming out? When's it coming out? Because I recorded this a long time ago. Mr. Jake Kylie from Strung Out is on the program next week. So everybody out there that's been emailing and hitting up the, the Instagram and everything, Jake from Strung Out will be on the program next week. And it's a good one. We talk about all kinds of really cool stuff. And yes, wouldn't you know it, Metallica comes up. <laughs> I think I sneak Metallica into almost every interview. Someday, maybe I'll get James or somebody on the show. That would be pretty awesome. Uh, and I can dream, you know. I will tell you guys, I am very, very close to a bucket list guest. I, I cannot believe that this might happen, but it may happen. I am talking to this certain person's quote-unquote, I'm doing little finger quotes, their people, 
and uh, it's looking good. So we will see if that happens. I'm not going to give the name out because if it doesn't happen, I don't want to be called a liar. And there's a huge chance it might not happen because it's next level. So we'll see what happens with that. But thank you once again. You guys are here every week. I wouldn't even know it if you weren't here every week, but some, most of you are here every week. I've got you know a lot of a lot of subscribers on the old Spotify and Apple. I found out how to do the Spotify for podcasters, and I found some really cool information. You guys use both. I thought everybody just listened on Apple, but uh, yeah, that, it's going really well over on Spotify. So thank you so much to the Spotify listeners. Some big news over there, Mr. Joe Rogan, the king of podcasting. He is going to be exclusive to Spotify. I think he made like a hundred million dollars or something. So yeah, that's something something to strive for when you've got a podcast. But uh, I will see you guys next week with Jake from Strung Out. It's a great episode. Don't miss it. Hit that subscribe button and come on back and check it out. I'm going to leave you with a couple tracks. I'm going to play a Faith No More classic first, and then I'm going to play uh, some uh, the Talking Book after that because it's a little bit more chill and you can just kind of. You know, let it lull you off and relax. So uh, first up, classic song, one of my favorite songs. One of the first songs that really got me into Faith in the Morning. I mean, everybody says epic, and that's wonderful. I love epic. But this song, Falling to Pieces, is so good. The video is so good. The bass line so good that Billy plays. The guitar work by Jim is so good. Mike Patton's vocals. I mean, it's it's awesome. So I'm going to... I'm going to get out of here, but first I'm going to play Falling to Pieces by Faith No More and then The Talking Book with Thermal Drift. I love you guys. Be careful if you go out to the pro to the protests. You know, it's it's peaceful protesting is what we want. That's what we want. So uh, just be careful if you go out there because there's always, like I said, those opportunist people that uh, are trying to make it different and uh, we don't need that. But I will see you guys next week. Stay home if you can. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Love everybody. Just, uh, you know, spread kindness. That's what we need to do. And I know that sounds real cheesy, but we need to do that. We need to be kind to everybody. And uh, I'll catch you next week. Chris, out.
Hey guys, it's Alice Lenny. And I teach you that's what I'm Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.